Are you curious on how much your business is worth? Get your free no obligation offer from Open Store at open.store. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly $500 billion by 2025. Recharge is a leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale their subscription offerings. Over 15,000 merchants use subscriptions powered by Recharge to grow their business and their communities by increasing average order value, reducing churn, and providing predictable recurring revenue. Turn transactions into long-term customer relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Check them out at rechargepayments.com forward slash DTC pod. Uh, David, thank you for being here. Uh, my name is Ramon, CEO of Trend and founder. I'm also joined by my co-host, Blaine, uh, co-founder and CEO of OmniPanel. Um, David, tell us more about Bushbaum. What kind of products do you guys sell? And tell us more about yourself. Yeah, so my name is David Gaylord. So I'm the CEO and uh, co-founder of Bushbaum. Um, so we started uh, in 2016. Um, and at the time, our tagline was something like uh, pu- daily pubic care and ingrown hair prevention. So it was very niche sounding. Um, but as, what we realized is as we've grown, um, now we focus on what we say are the common skin concerns that uh, like the industry has ignored. So the likes of razor burn, ingrown hairs, dark spots, hyperpigmentation, they don't sound uh, very sexy, but they're very common. Um, and they've, in our opinion, been underrepresented. So we have this great opportunity for a market that's really big, but not many uh, people are in it. Um, so that's, that's our strategy at Bush Bombs. We sell a bunch of oil products, uh, scrubs, uh, we have some creams. We just launched a, a cleanser. Um, we have a, a trimmer. So we're, we're kind of focused on the bikini line, um, but expanding to, to full body with, uh, with Bush Bomb. That, that, that's awesome. And, and what's your background? How did you end up here in this, in this specific industry and with these products? Yeah, so it's uh, kind of a windy road, but I, I went to school actually for marketing. Um, so I ended up in school in New Jersey and um, did digital marketing. And at the time, my family uh, has a hardwood flooring business, which is also an industry that doesn't seem that like exciting. But uh, when I was a kid growing up, I worked for the family business forever, every summer, like every chance. Um, and it was a great way to like learn and see business from my dad, kind of what he did. And in university, I think it was second year, which would have been around 2011. And my, my dad said, I think e-commerce is going to be a big deal. And I'd like to get our flooring store on e-commerce. Like, can you help me? And I thought, like, yeah, I'll, like, I don't care. Like, I'll make money at university. It'll be great. And then I, I did. And luckily, uh, I looked at all the software and it was like Magento, big commerce. And the only reason I chose Shopify was because it was from Canada. And that was the only reason. Um, so I, I built their store for about, uh, it took me between like six months. They actually had a lot. They had over like a thousand blogs that they had to migrate over and stuff like that. And I had no idea what I was doing. Um, so that, that kind of led me into like what Shopify was. And then I, I did the rest of my degree, had a few other kind of internships. And then I actually landed a entry level customer service role at Shopify. Um, so that was about six years ago. And then uh, I was there for about a year. And then at the time, I started Bushbaum with uh, another Shopify employee as well as his wife. 
Um, so we, we started it and uh, ran it for about five years uh, while we were both full-time at, uh, at Shopify. And then we hired uh, our first staff, actually, was full-time Bushbomb while we were still full-time Shopify. And then uh, the last year, we've, we've really grown a lot. And now we're a team of, we're 11, but we have two starting uh, in the next couple of weeks. I, I have to jump in here and I want to ask more on the Shopify front, but this is a story my, my our audience also doesn't know. I grew up with um, a family that, you know, I grew up selling hardwood floors as well. In the oh, no way. For the odds. own hardwares in the Caribbean and I actually would sell hardwood floors and my first times I must have been around like 16 or something and I would go and like measure it and then I'd get back to the hardware and get them a quote and I would be like damn I lost a paper or something or like my measurements were completely off um, and in my, in my case it was a little bit different my parents you know, they wanted to stay with the shop. And I was like, I think this internet thing is going to be a bit bigger than this hardware shop. And so um, they were not supportive of, of the e-commerce and, and front and software front. So that's that part was a bit different. But, you know, as you worked in, in Shopify, like clearly it had something to do with your success rate the odds of you being successful with your first e-commerce store being much higher than the average person. So like, what were some of the key insights that you had and the biggest valuable, you know, insights that you got while working at Shopify to give you the confidence to go and start this, um, knowing that, that you, it would be successful? Yeah. So th there's actually a few different parts that I would say are totally separate, but probably equally as important. So at the, st at the start, when I joined, I was a junior employee, right? I didn't really know much, um, but I wanted to learn and e-commerce was, was growing really quickly. Um, but, but I actually learned um, at an internship I had in university with, um, it was a one person shop. She ran this high-end furniture store in New Jersey and she was on big commerce. Um, and she actually showed me all kinds of things about SEO, about marketing, things I had no idea. Um, so that was like incredible experience. I learned so much from her. And then I came to Shopify and when you work in customer service, you immediately know like everything about the product. So I, I quickly learned like about the product and like to this day, I, I don't know if there'd be many people out there who know like all the nooks and crannies as well as I would now. Um, so that experience of learning as like someone who's in the platform every day helping people, super useful to like understand the platform. Um, but like the Shopify in general, you are surrounded by good people, but you're often surrounded by good people building the product. Not, you're not actually surrounded by founders building uh, companies like, like Bushbomb. Um, so you actually have to like push yourself out there to learn more about that. Um, and that was like a challenge, right? I, luckily I had access to find founders I could talk to or people I could get advice from. But the, the most influential thing at Shopify is my, my last role I was there, I worked with the COO. So we built, uh, basically my only role was building pitch decks. And it'd be like, okay, we've got this new project, like let's build a deck, let's, let's get the stakeholders in, let's pitch it, um, let's do the research into, into why this is so important, like the impact it would have. And bringing that to Bushbomb, it made it, it much easier for me to, like first off, find the narrative around how to pitch the product. And then also being able to like build a pitch deck to pitch new employees to join, to pitch to retailers, um, to hone in on language, which uh, I contribute a lot of that to our success is just knowing the words to use has gotten us pretty far.
David, uh, one thing that you mentioned in terms of like starting out your journey in customer uh, customer service, customer success for Shopify, uh, and how that taught you more about the product than uh, any other job could have. So I think you had your first experience, which was building a, a store on Shopify for the family business. Then now you're actually in the weeds of the tickets. You're understanding all the nooks and crannies, the ins and outs of uh, the problems that all these other Shopify store operators are having. Um, could you walk us through your progression? Like you said, you ultimately ended up you guys are now a merchant and service for Shopify and you, you know, you work with the COO and you came up from customer service. So um, one thing that I think is really valuable for a lot of different teams, it's like some of their best players are might be starting out in the customer service world. I know my first startup job, that's where I started as well. Um, the founder of my last company, I worked in CX and that gave me insane um, product insight. Right. So can you just for all the other listeners who might be like, under like they know CX is important, but they're trying to unpack like why it's so important, what the journey of someone who starts in CX and where they can go um, into all the way into a founder. Can you just walk us through where you started at Shopify and CX and what your you know five year six year trajectory there has been? Yeah, yeah, totally. So I uh, was customer service kind of right off the bat, and I I tell people this now that I chat with, I get a lot of like, can you give me some career advice? And I, in my head, I'm like, I might be the worst person to talk to perhaps, but I could also be really helpful. So my, my progression, customer service is awesome. Like I was, it was so fast paced. And what Shopify does incredibly well, it's like a big company growing really quickly. They promote internally and, and move people into new roles. Um, so it was my journey. I became a lead in customer service uh, within about a year. And then from there, I spent a little bit of time, maybe another year, and then I moved into the recruiting team. So I, I, was, I was really excited to just see more of the business. So recruiting taught me so much more from like a HR talent perspective than I could have imagined. Didn't necessarily like it. Still don't really enjoy recruiting. It's really hard. Um, but then from there, I took uh, what some would kind of deem like an executive assistant role. Um, and at the time, I thought it's probably not the right fit for me. I'm not super organized uh, per se, but... The two executives I'd work with, the one ran actually the customer service team, and then the other was uh, the VP of customer service. So they're both just incredibly smart people. Um, they both were actually entrepreneurs uh, who had kind of left and exited other companies. So they had just this wealth of knowledge. So instead of trying to get like a new role, I could have moved into like, I don't know, junior design themed de developer or something. I could have moved into a role that was more technical. But my path that I was more excited about was finding executives who I, I respected a lot to be able to learn from, um, and they taught me so much. So I actually spent most of my career with those two, two gentlemen, and then in my last year, actually, my, my boss at the time was the chief support officer, became the uh, COO. So that just like opened up a whole new world of understanding and learning uh, about how like a corporation runs. Um, and, and what, what I tell people that was interesting is Shopify is in like the billions of dollars. Like the numbers are like billions and you're talking about like billions and billions and it's crazy. And it made it actually so much easier to look at Bushbaum and think bigger. Whereas I, before I was like, oh, we could be like a million dollar company. And now I'm like, no, the world's big. Like the numbers are big. Like we can be much bigger than I ever thought possible. Um, and seeing the Shopify numbers really really pushes that down on you, which is good. 
that's it's it's all relative right like you know what what you compare yourself to is also like sort of it could also be where you corner yourself into um, totally and and so like what advice do you have for like e-commerce founders that are out there that like you know might not have the exposure to you know a corporation that has billions of dollars but like you know um seeing what you know like knowing what you know now and you also didn't have that like how how would you try and like push that perspective into your business yeah no it's a, it's a hard question the 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 main thing i would say is um like the world of operations um and how things like run um i think a lot of people take for granted and it, it ends up like making or breaking an e-commerce brand and those two two executives that taught me they showed me a lot of hey here's how a big company runs and a lot of it was read this Patrick Lancioni book on dysfunctional teams or read like these other books. And it, it ended up helping a lot um, just to understand like the ins and the outs. So that's the piece for me was if you can ask people who've done it around you, whether it's a different, different industry or not, just ask them like what books you read around, say, operations or like how to run a team or like how to be a leader. Because um, I, I came into Bushman with no direct reports and no team. And now, like, those books are so handy in, in like, how we, we operate. And if I didn't read them, I would be completely lost, I'd say. Have you, have you always been, because, like, it's tough to give this kind of advice to other people, because, like, there's this element of, like, natural people that are naturally curious, right? Um, and so, like, have you always been this naturally curious and, and eager to just learn more? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. I, I don't know how people... Yeah, like looking at my like personality as well. I'm very like obsessive over things, um, but then I'm also very passive. So I have this weird personality of where I can like let things go and move on. But a um, good example is like our, our Shopify, our new site. We just launched it. We worked with an agency for I think it was five, six months. And of all people, I've been like so in the weeds of understanding it because I, I think I have to like fully understand everything. And then that way I can pass it fully on to someone else. As long as I like initially did it, so then I can have like the understanding, be able to talk to them about it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That's just all, I've always been like that, and I see I see a lot of other founders who, in e-commerce, it's common. They're the person who is like deep in the Facebook ads and understands it all, and they're the person who like Moise Ali sold his business and he was still doing the Facebook ads. I think so. There, it's you see that a lot. I think with e-commerce founders. Yeah, I think that's something that's really important for any uh, founder of any business, right? It's like at the end of the day, when you're when you're a founder, uh, the the buck kind of stops with you. So you need to be able to know and care about all the things that are top of mind because no one's going to care as much as you, and you're kind of the last. You're the last line of defense, right? So I mean, I know uh, as an early stage founder, that's something I think a lot about. Like I want to know intimately know all the ins and outs of the businesses that I'm building and all the different systems. And then once you, you're happy with how it is, then you can kind of scale it up and you can hand off that process. But if, if you know, and you obviously will bring in better people as you continue to scale up who can build processes even better than you. But if you can't even understand what process they're building, then you know it's, it's just tough to steer the ship. Um, so I think that's a really valuable thing. Um, just wanted to circle back for one second. So I know you mentioned there were a lot of resources that were important to you. Um, are there any off the top, I don't wanna put you on the spot, but there are, are there any off the top of your head that, um, that really stood out to you that, you, that you'd recommend to our, our listeners? 
Yeah, the the for sure if you're like growing a team, uh, anything by Patrick Lencioni. I think that's how you say his name. Like Five Dysfunctions of a Team, Death by Meeting. They're like outstanding books. And he, he just launched one uh, recently called uh, The Advantage, which is really good. Just basic. He simplifies things on how to run a business, how to get the most out of like people. And um, he he's a great read for sure. Um, as far as uh, other kind of things that you can do, I, I listen to a ton of podcasts. Like every day I listen to like probably hours of podcasts. And I've, I've learned over the years not to take like almost any of the advice. But just like knowing what people are saying is really, really helpful to understand like trends. And then eventually you can dive into something. Um, but yeah, Patrick Lencioni is a good one. Um, the Shoe Dog book is just like inspiring. It just like pumps you up. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't have many other, uh, actually one resource that's maybe I overlook is I went to school for business. So I took, I don't know, five, six finance courses and having a baseline understanding of finance is critical. I would say if you're starting a business and if you need to take a course that's like 10 hours, 20 hours, whatever it is, you really should because finance is, uh, is critical. I was going to say that one's a little bit harder to learn on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Have you been doing audiobooks? Have you given a shot to audiobooks? I'm, I'm devouring audiobooks. Um, it's just so easy. Yeah, I've, I do. Actually, I just listened to one. But uh, when I was a kid, actually, my dad was a big sales guy because he was selling hardwood flooring, had to be a good salesperson. So we listened to uh, like tons of Brian Tracy and all those old ones, but yeah, I haven't been into it in a, in a while. I just I just actually downloaded Audible again, so I might try it. Nice. Um, I do want to touch on something you just talked about the the business school that you went to and that your major was in marketing. Um, I've come across Bushbone before because of, and I and it stood out because of your guys's content. Um, your content is really good. Um, so you know, is that does that come from your marketing background? Do you accredit that, you know, to whoever is leading the creative? Has that always been important since you launched the brand? How, how do you think about content? Yeah, so we, we have, it's one of our strengths. And it's actually one of my weaknesses for sure of like uh, sourcing content. Um, but I have uh, a great team member, Rachel, on our team who does, her role is really like working with influencers and also just like, like you said, working with uh, just standard people who can produce content and make content. Um, so our, our team is strong for it, but also our operations of how we run it. So how it goes is we have a marketing call Monday afternoon with like our team, which goes over kind of the metrics of a lot of things like emails and all those, but also one key part that's really important is uh, UGC. How, mu how much UGC do we get this week? Is it all sorted in the documents? Okay, we've got the drive ready. And then Tuesday morning at 8 a.m., we have a, a Facebook ads, kind of all of our ads uh, call. And in that call, our designer um, basically sees the data and we go over it. Here's what's working. Here's what's not. Um, and then the last 15, 20 minutes, we go through, okay, what variations do we, we want to do? Um, and then that day, he only works on ads, creates them. Um, and then at the end of the day, we start to upload tests again for like the next week. So the process has become like a factory. It's so fast that if on the Monday call we don't have any new UGC, it's like a pretty quick like accountability check. So it's like we need more UGC. Um, if the ads aren't done by the end of Wednesday, it's like where are the ads? So everyone's like really moving quickly on those on those things. Um, and now we're we're doing well where we have so much UGC. Whereas at the first year it was 
like slow and sparse. Um, and my job was really trying to splice together one piece of UGC into like a hundred different ads. Um, and now we, we have kind of luxury of doing less of that, but still, yeah, it's been important pretty since day one, basically. Yeah, the, the other thing that stood out about your site is just the general um, structure and how you guys have um, structured the way, it, the way you've organized the categories and how people can shop. So just for the listeners who may, may not be listening, if you come to the site, um, you know, you guys don't just have products, you do a good job of creating different bundles, collections, and then you're selling not just by type, but by skin concern. And there, there's just a lot of different variation that you guys have clearly done that stands out versus other stores. So do you want to just walk us through a little bit about what your guys approach was there to setting up, um, you know, the categories and the different ways that you can bundle and sell your products by? Yeah, totally. So it, uh, as like a small catalog in general, we realized early on, we had to figure out ways, like one thing is we had to figure out how to get average order value up. So like selling one item for $26 is, is hard to get average order value up. Um, so that was when we started to do kind of more bundling and understanding what that looks like. Um, so on the site, we, we kind of, we're on and off with Hotjar, one of those sites you can, you can watch uh, flows. So we'll, we'll check it out, see what goes on. And our nav gets tons of action. Like we're always seeing people in there. So we've done a lot of work to, like you said, by skin concern. So if you're shopping for ingrown hairs or dark spots or razor burn, like you'll see the word and you'll click it. Um, if you're looking for a specific product cause you're a repeat customer, you'll probably click like soothing oils and just click there cause you know, you, you want to buy that. So yeah, we, we've tried to put as much of kind of what people do if they're new or if they're existing into especially the nav. Um, and then the homepage, you see kind of the nav unfolds into the homepage with a few catalogs. Um, but yeah, in general, if you have a small catalog of products, um, for us, we've had to make it so like one product ends up being like three SKUs because we've got like a two-step bundle, a three-step bundle. We've got like a new routine type of shopping experience. That's like a fourth product. So on our website, it looks like we have a, ton, a lot of products and a lot going on. Um, but if you come to one of our landing pages, it's like pretty, pretty clear and tight. So you're like, oh, I came to the landing page for razor burn. I know I'm looking at razor burn and everything is about razor burn and it's very long form. And then when you go to the homepage, you realize like, oh, they have other things as well. Um, but if you landed on the homepage, you'd think we were like a much bigger company. Um, but on a landing page, you think we're like a niche company just focused on razor burn. Yeah. And then the other thing is like, how did you, cause this obviously didn't happen overnight. I know you guys have been, you started building the store like while you were at Shopify in 2016. So what was the evolution of the product? Maybe from like the first inception of it, what gave you the inspiration to go niche and go specifically this niche? I don't know, maybe you were in Shopify seeing what all the stores were and being like, oh, I think there's a niche here. Or so what was the inspiration one that like was like, okay, this is the niche I want to go after. And then two, why don't you walk us through a little bit of the evolution of what the site's been like and what the business has been like to get from 2016 to now where we are, we have, um, you know, super complex and really slick navigation where you're shopping by skin type and by your routine. And, you know, you have all these really cool things built out. Right. So yeah, the 
what I would say is you, you do see like when you work at Shopify, you, you understand like what shops are doing well and growing and all these things, but it's, it's still really hard to be like, oh, here's something that's up and coming um, and I'm going to like win with this. So for, for us, it actually didn't start out as like we saw it as a huge opportunity. We thought um, it, was, it was actually my co-founder and his wife on their honeymoon. He took her face oil and used it down, down there to freshen up. And like that, that was it. And it started this conversation of like, that's kind of interesting. What if, what if it was for scent or it smelled good? Like, what do you think of that? So the business originally started as unisex, um, focused like branding wise more on male demographic. And if you looked at the site in 2016, like the Wayback Machine, it, it would be very dark, very masculine, focused on scent. Um, but over the years, what we realized is kind of one, um, men didn't really care and they, they kind of don't care still. Um, but we talked to a couple of waxing salons and they like said, no, 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 people don't care about scent as much, but they really care about ingrown hairs, razor burn, post waxing. Can you make something for that? Um, so we had originally, it was just three products. Um, we sold those products and our average order value at one point was like $19. Um, and we, we had a product that was uh, a three-pack of all three oils, but in really small sizes. And we sold that for it was something like $9.99 free shipping, um, which was just, we made like $0 on it, but it converted well for Facebook and it, it grew our, audi- our audience. Um, and then from there, we got a little bit more serious where we launched um, matching scrubs. So then you had a routine, right? Two products you could use. We launched a dry brush. So then it became a three-step routine. Um, that worked really well, increased. Uh, in one year, actually, AOV went up from like $20 to like 65 So it just like changed the business entirely. Um, and then we took what I would call our biggest risk at the time was during COVID, we launched a trimmer. Um, and our, our trimmer has become one of our top sellers. It's just a great product. Um, and then uh, during that time, we also hired like a a really experienced uh, product developer. Um, so that's kind of where we are now is we have someone on who's like working with all the labs and the chemists to make like awesome new products. Um, so we probably won't see, we just saw one launch, but it takes about a year to two years for one product now to like go from idea to, to on, the, on the site. Um, and then as far as technical changes, we actually didn't change anything really technical on our site um, until recently. So for say six years, the site's basically been the same with like images have improved, but the structure, everything has been basically very simple, straightforward. And then our new site, we just launched about a, three weeks ago actually um, in Canada. And then we've recently, like last week, we launched in the US. Um, it's much more advanced, but it's less of a risk because we know what people do and like the language they use and what we have to put as visuals. Um, so it's, it launched actually really smoothly, which is uh, surprising. That's, that's something I wanted to ask when you mentioned you had that dark brand, um, that you switched that brand. Um, can you share like what level of the business were you at? Um, like to what revenue were you able to get to with that dark brand? Um, and what caused you to say, okay, now we're at a point where like we can use a rebrand. Yeah. So it was like the first couple of years, like year one, we did $2,000 or something. It was just kind of tiny. We barely had any inventory. 
Uh, year two, I think we did like 35,000, so like still tiny. Um, but year two, we went to a few shows. So uh, an Etsy show, we went to another craft market. And that was the point we realized like no one, like this isn't going to work. Um, people don't associate with this. We got to change how we approach things. Um, and then the, the next year after that, we got more into Facebook ads. So as we started to get like revenue coming in at kind of a regular pace through that, we realized that what we were doing could work. Um, so we, we invested ourselves. Um, actually at the time, our total revenue for the year was something like 110,000 and we put in a PO, which was like $120,000. And for, it was, we were like, I think we're betting on it, but the new PO, we called it our Sephora ready brand. And it was like beautiful, had these like iPhone-esque boxes that you'd open up. It was amazing. And that actually uh, changed everything. Like perception, people saw it as a, a product they wanted to buy. We got um, professional photography done and like some amazing photo shoots, which that, those photo shoots uh, are probably the only reason we're, we're where we are now. Um, because that was, that was like the moment ads changed. We could do so much more with our brand. Um, and then now we're at the point where we're big enough where a rebrand or like packaging changes isn't like we had a thousand units. It's like, we have like 300,000 units and we have to slowly phase them out to transition to new branding. It's, it's really hard. Yeah. Um, David, the next question I had uh, going back to one thing that you had mentioned before was about how you talked about how you're layering in different products to help people build out habits and build out bundles that way, right? So what role does subscription play in your business? Or is that something you think about a lot? Are customers subscribers? Are they subscribed to bundles? And how does subscription fit into uh, your brand strategy as a whole? Yeah. So we, I have probably a weird approach to certain things, um, and this might be one. Um, so how I see subscriptions so far, um, we're kind of in the early phase of it. Um, and typically you'll see it with Bush Bomb is if we have a product that we're not sure about, we'll like, we'll like put it on the website and not tell anyone. Um, and then we'll just see if it sells or not. And we do stuff like that all the time just to get like a glimpse into, okay, it seems there actually is a lot of demand for this. Like, let's put in a larger PO now to get ahead of like inventory challenges, whatever it is. So we, we've done the same thing with subscriptions. So we haven't really done any marketing for it whatsoever. We just threw it on the site. Um, we didn't send any emails, put it on social. And it, it's like shocked us, like surprised us a lot. So we're getting, I don't know what the numbers are now, but I think in total we're close to like a thousand subscriptions. So it's, it's just like, grown really quickly and I think we launched in October last year so it's it's been this like slow roll and now we're in the phase of okay we think this is going to be really successful let's build out our actual marketing strategy from email flows all the way through how we do kind of paid ads um, so we're we're just building that out but yeah right now it's still kind of a off the site just happening yeah what one interesting thing about subscriptions in your business I think subscriptions have a lot to do with the business and the product and the service that you're offering. Uh, and one thing that I think you've created in your ecosystem that bodes really well for a subscription is the fact that, you know, you've tied it together. Now you have your trimmer, you have all the oils and you've built this whole little ecosystem around 
a niche action that's happening over and over again. So I think for any of the listeners who are thinking about subscriptions, um, you know, there's certain brands that subscriptions make a ton of sense for and certain brands that they don't. So maybe if you're in the early stage of formulating a business, uh, you might want to give thought into, okay, this is going to be our first product offering, but what's the what's the entire workflow or daily routine around the service that we're offering? Because that, uh, it seems like that's something that you've landed into. And because you've done that, you're like, oh, wow, like subscriptions are popping. Like we didn't even plan for that, but they're, they're happening. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think that's something totally. that's, that's really that's, cool. And that's kind of like our strategy in general. Like you'll look on our website and we say routines like everywhere. Um, so with Bushbomb, you'll see we'll have hero products. And then we'll have products that are really good, but just general parts of your daily shower routine. So we launched a body wash. It's a great body wash. It's incredible, but it's also, it's a body wash, right? So it's just a kind of standard everyday product. So that's, that's one that's going right into the routine and you just add it to the subscription and it makes a lot of sense. How does your, and so, you know, I find that really interesting, like how you use the word routine for those, um, you know, items that require repurchases and, and subscriptions, like how, how do you, so I found, you know, you earlier, you explained how your creative team syncs with the marketing team. How does your CX team sync with your marketing team? Um, because a lot of this information can come from CX itself and you can spot trends earlier um you know things that you didn't know that like would be a hit with subscription and that information is just sitting there yeah um we do a lot of uh it's a lot of uh what i would say like small nitty-gritty things that you do and then they show in different ways so one that we just do is a lot of plain well we don't do a lot but we do plain text emails that just go to cx afterwards and they're questions all the time so we had one that was like, what's holding you back? Hey, like we noticed like blah, 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 like anything holding you back. And that was it. And we got so many good replies. Um, and then we have a few that are just basic questions around, hey, like we're, we're launching a new product soon. Um, Amanda, our product developer is on kind of call, like any, any things you'd want to see. And people are like, oh yeah, you should do this. And, and we're like, oh, great. So CX, they've kind of operationalized certain emails where they actually will make like a spreadsheet and they're like, okay, here's this, here's this, here's what people want. Um, so we know for us, like bigger bottles is something that's like everyone seems to want. And then also subscriptions came up all the time from repeat customers. So it made it pretty easy to say, okay, let's just try to flip it on and see what happens. Um, but yeah, they're, they're pretty closely tied and they do social um, and customer service work together on like all the comments ad comments, those things. They've got to be pretty tight on uh, narrative for sure. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to unleash the secrets that, that what's holding you back question. We use it and it gets an insane amount of responses as well. It's like, it's so funny because you can craft these paragraphs or great copy. And we just ask like, Hey, what's holding you back from making another campaign for more content? And it just like, everything just comes out. <laughs> yeah. It's just like human, right? You never send a long email. It's just a quick question. Hey, David, uh, my next question was going to be based on your experience. So I think, you know, we've obviously alluded to this, but you're in a very unique position. You've done the whole Shopify thing. You've built your own brand, right? And I think there's a lot of people who might be thinking about building a Shopify brand from the ground up. So I think you're probably in one of the best positions 
uh, out of anyone to like kind of give us a quick little crash course. If you were to start a Shopify store today, like how would you think about, um, and I know this is a broad question, but what, if you could just break down like step-by-step, how would you think about building a store on Shopify if you're launching today from, you know, selecting the product to, okay, now I want to go to Shopify and get set up to, okay, what are my next couple steps? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's one of those, like the world now is different than it was when I started six years ago. And there's a period where six years ago it was easier, five years ago, Facebook ads, everything was easier. So back then I would have said, oh, like do this, do this. Whereas now what I would say is depends how, how committed you're going to be to it. And like, I don't think you have to be full on, quit your job, like start a business. You could as one option, Hey, start this business and get your Shopify store up. And even if you're not selling product, like build content, like build the brand, build the content, maybe do that for a year, maybe two years. Um, your SEO rankings, all those things will improve over time. So that's one route. Um, the other route I would say is try to find something that is like kind of niche. Um, so it sounds niche, but has a big market. And that's a pretty broad statement, but that's, that's kind of what we did is, okay, we found something, we think it has a huge market and it's undertapped. Like what are more of those? I'm sure there's so many out there. Um, and the other piece of advice now I would say is if you're trying to sell uh, like a low cost item um, and go D to C, it's going to be really hard. So you got to find something where um, it's just an excellent product and the perceived value is high enough. Um, so whatever you do, figure, figure that out because Nowadays, uh, if you don't have an excellent product and fair value for it um, with good margins, you, you just can't compete. It's just so hard. Um, so you really have to focus uh, product first, um, whereas five years ago, you could sell a fidget spinner and it was fine, right? But nowadays, you, it's really hard to do that. Even if you like sort of make it work with like, you know, a lot of people are launching brands with like organic viral TikTok content like sure you can get away with that but the problem with that is that it's not going to be predictable like people are making videos on TikTok that like you see their feeds and like the most random video gets a million views and and you know there's a lot of consultants charging a lot for like you know they have the recipe for the algorithm but in right reality, like nobody <laughs> really knows what's making this video um of a sandal you know hitting a million views and, and yeah. you can't consistently repeat that for sure, yeah. And ha like how we've built the business, it's a lot of the focus is on like consistency of like, okay, revenue, looking at like how profitable we are each day, understanding like what channels are, are working. And that's where like the finance understanding as well as just like understanding the data behind the business um, is so critical. And a lot of people I would say, like a good metric that people don't look at every day is your like email opt-in rate and then your email flows. And like, are they sending? Is everything like working properly? Because um, yeah, for us, we get close to like 1500 subscribers a day. And like, if that turns off accidentally for one day, it's like we just lost 1500 emails. Um, so we gotta be like on the ball, understanding how these metrics like connect. Um, and if you're starting a business, it's just easy to, to just not notice those things uh, as you go along. So David, I think you, you just touched on something really interesting in terms of um, how important it is to be able to collect emails, build new customers, build new pipeline. So how do you guys think about doing that? Like, how do you guys put yourself in the position to 
you know, go from where you were all the way back in the day to being able to collect 1500 emails a day. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've kind of slowly worked our way up with like different pop-ups and um, just ways of collecting. Like even we have a quiz on our, our header. It does really well. It's like pretty basic, not much to it. Um, we've got a few other pop-ups um, that do well as far as like welcome. Um, we had a good one on exit intent um, on the cart page for someone leaving there, which, uh, which performed well as far as uh, it's basically um, want us to save your cart and people will put in their, their email there. Um, but yeah, for us, it's been just a lot of iteration and just like small tests here and there. And we're kind of in a unique spot. It's not great um, just for operations, but it lets us test more is we have a Canadian site and a U.S. site, and they're separate. Um, so we, we often, what we'll do is we'll test something in Canada, and then uh, if we learn something great, we'll do it in, on the bigger platform in the U.S. Um, so Canada's kind of our like smaller site to try all these things out. Um, but yeah, we're still actually learning, trying to figure out what's the best way to collect email and SMS, how valuable is an email versus an SMS. Um, so that's a piece that we're still, we haven't quite nailed, um, but we are we're getting a lot of subscribers, which is which is helpful. But yeah, we need to get more scientific about it. Have you have you taken a deep dive into like you know then how much is each one of those emails worth and what's the timeline to make that email be worth zero until how long does it take until it's worth a dollar and what the process is? That's something I struggle with just because we yeah. have the bandwidth to like really test this out and really get data fast enough. And do it yeah. in the most like authentic and organic way, right? Like you don't want to just get emails and be like, hey, like, you know, <laughs> here's something you should buy. So, yeah. Yeah, we're still figuring that out too. As far as uh, that's one piece, actually, as you grow a brand, you're like for us, we hired certain roles and we grew certain things. And you, as like the founder, you end up doing a bunch of roles that you shouldn't do. And you're probably not qualified to do either. Um, so, for instance, one right now is like we don't have a data analyst. So there's like me and like someone else really testing things and trying to pull the data and trying to make sure it's like accurate. So it gets really hard. Whereas if we get to a certain level of revenue, that role probably unlocks. And then that person probably also brings like tons of revenue back that we just don't know. We're just at the stage where we're kind of in between the possibility of hiring that person versus someone else who's going to bring kind of direct revenue into the business. One other question is, you you said you have, you know, the Canadian store, the US store, you're able to test some stuff out before you push to maybe a bigger audience. Are you guys on any different platforms? Or are you guys just exclusive to Shopify? Yeah, just uh, just Shopify for sales. Um, the only other one we, we do is like a marketplace. Uh, well, we do. We have an Amazon store as well. Um, but fair, we use for some of our wholesale business, which has been a uh, a good marketplace to be on. Um, but yeah, for the most part, we just have the two, two Shopify stores. We'll soon have a third, which is going to be our full wholesale business, um, which will be, it's kind of sucks having a bunch of stores, but at the same time, it does keep the data separate. It allows you to do more kind of testing and, and kind of building different segments. But uh, yeah, pretty much just Shopify for everything. Um, and then Amazon's been a surprise for us. It's been a really good, uh, good platform that's, not as bad as everyone makes it sound out to be. Um, and it's been a quiet launch as well. Not many people know we're on, on Amazon. Yeah, I think what, what we always hear, it's like if you're, if you're building a good product, uh, Amazon's the place to be. If your product is maybe 
not so good, then uh, you know you'll probably hear all the bad stuff uh, on Amazon. And that's not going to be a great, such a great channel. Um, the other thing I'd say, so you said you're thinking about launching your wholesale business. That's going to be slightly different. You're going to keep keep it, you know, obviously a little bit separate. But what does that look like in your space? Like, who are you selling wholesale to? What is the packaging like that? For that look like what's the product offering and what does the whole wholesale component look like and how do you think about it i, I want to add one more thing to that which is something i've never heard which is like going into wholesale with the interest of like a data play um so would love to hear on that too yeah so we if you look at kind of the anatomy of d2c now and like a year ago people were probably less pumped about wholesale and retail it was like d2c was the cool thing and it was more profitable everyone had kind of all these lines Whereas now it's kind of changed, right? Where um, D to C is, you're like spending a lot to get kind of ads and get people in the door and like build the, build the funnel. Um, so our strategy has been basically, we're going to continue to do D to C like as hard as we possibly can and try to be profitable and like run that as much as we possibly can to, to hopefully grow really quick. Um, but what happens when you grow D to C is wholesale and retail becomes more desirable um, for the retailers as well as for yourself. So for us, we're trying to diversify revenue. So we've, we've landed some bigger, but not huge, uh, what we call large retail. So that would be, we're in Urban Outfitters, um, Indigo, kind of those, those types of retailers. Um, and then we have what we call small, small wholesale or wholesale. Um, and that's our, we do a lot with waxing salons. Um, so we're in close to a thousand across Canada and the US. Um, and they, a lot of them are kind of single owner led waxing salons. So they're very small business. Um, they're great to work with. Um, they're super thoughtful, but when you kind of break down the anatomy of how they run is they're really similar to D to C they're, they're a similar business model. They, they want to order, I don't know, every two months. Um, they come to the website, they put in their order themselves. Um, and for us, what we want to do is build a platform for them to make it really smooth, really easy, um, do subscriptions, um, have them on that. But their average order value is closer to six, $700 instead of the kind of $70 online. Um, so that's a, a big channel for us. And then the other channel that um, I see the business, like one of our growth levers is we haven't launched international yet. Um, so we've, we've grown significantly with just Canada and the US. So um, probably late this year, we'll launch uh, in a couple different international markets. Um, and that hopefully can bring on, I don't know, 20, 30% more revenue um, pretty quickly. David, two questions about the wholesale stuff uh, is one, what was your sales process like in terms of like kicking that off, right? Um, so how do you get into your first merchants? And then how do you continue building out that funnel of wholesale merchants? And the second one, uh, well, actually, I'll let you answer the first and then I'll ask you the second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that one's, uh, that one, basically, when we started, it was a side hustle. And we landed, actually, a lot of our first wholesalers just, like, quickly through email and, like, asking, hey, do you do wholesale? And we realized, yeah, like, of course we do. And then uh, one thing we did, which was, I think, really smart back in the day is we just made it seamless. So, like, anyone in the world could come to our website and order wholesale. Like you could come on, you could create an account, and then the minimum was $250, $250, so it was easy. So we actually, for up until last year, we ran it with no salespeople, and it was just kind of like a button on the, on the site that people went to. Um, and that grew 
really well. Um, whereas now we optimize for um, applications and you, people don't realize, I would say, um, there's a couple things like if you're doing retail, so say you're on all the big retailers, um, when you do ads for Facebook, TikTok, whatever, people come to Google and they search for you. And like typically you'll have your own brand, you're gonna run Google ads for it. But then also you're gonna have like, say you're in four major retailers, they're also gonna have a Google ad. Um, so you kind of lose margin there to them. Um, whereas what, what we've kind of optimized for is these wholesale salons, um, they're just like normal people and they get our normal ads and then they go to the wholesale portal and they, they like apply. So our, our general ads have just filled that funnel. Um, so we, we actually haven't done much from a marketing perspective for wholesale. It's just like filled based on how much we spend on, uh, on Facebook and TikTok and in general. I think that's a really uh, sweet thing that you guys have going on on the wholesale side of things. I think that's really smart the way you're approaching it. My next question was going to be wholesale obviously introduces a really cool opportunity for customers and end customers to try the product, right? Like they're in the salon, they're getting waxed and now they get, um, you know, your product. So is there any lev layer of like, do they, do these end customers know the product that the salon is using or is it just totally white label? What's the approach there? Yeah. So we, how we see uh, that part of the business is it's actually just like another impression. So we, we have a lot of wholesaler like waxing accounts and they'll use what we have as a back bar. So it's still branded Bush Bomb, but it's not for resale. They just use it um, immediately after you get a wax. So what they do is they use it in their service and then it makes it such an easy selling point because they go, yeah, I totally, I would love to sell you. Like you can get this, take home, it's this much money, buy it at the cash. And we, we don't do any, any white labeling. Um, so for us, yeah, like, the, like we're really happy because we're getting our product out there in more places and more people are seeing it. Um, but the, the waxing professionals are, are really happy because um, their world has been, uh, we found kind of this white space where they originally had these kind of ugly branded products that were kind of alcohol based or they smelled like a hospital. And we said, hey, here's a product that's all natural and it looks really nice on your shelf and it's similar price. So for them, they're like, oh, this is, this is a totally, this is a no brainer. Like it's so easy to sell. Um, so yeah, we, we want to do way more with that, that community. And I think say we're at a thousand now, there's probably like 60,000 waxing salons in the U S across the world. There's way more than that. So we're, we're still super early in what we're doing there. And that's, that's one of the parts of the business I'm super excited about. And you guys are 11 people you mentioned. Yeah. Small um, team. How many is it including contractors? Because like, you know, you guys are doing a lot. Like, uh, you have different cohorts of customers you're serving. Um, you know, I have two, three cohorts and I'm like, damn, I don't have enough people. <laughs> I have like 10 too, but. Yeah. We, we have a few, uh, contractors. We work with someone kind of on the paid media side. Um, so that, that takes uh, quite a bit of load off the, the team. Um, and then we have a PR agency that we work with. Uh, we've just started with them actually recently. Um, but yeah, otherwise, just like the standard stuff, right? We outsource like uh, third-party logistics. Um, and then otherwise, yeah, not much. It, it's actually the team now, we're, we're about to hire two people, which is going to really, um, well, I hope, bring us up a level as far as like what we can output, what we can do. 
Um, but yeah, it's shocking how much the team as first content brings in. Um, and we don't really have much software behind it. It's just kind of the organic. Um, so soon we'll probably get to the point where there's a bit of a breaking point. Um, but for now, we're just going as fast as we possibly can and um, hoping that kind of we can keep up with hiring. So that's been a, that's a tricky, uh, I think a D2C founder startup, you're like always understaffed and you just don't even know how to pull someone in and then you have to hire and it, it makes you even more overwhelmed. Um, so we're keeping up, luckily. Well, what are those roles in case, you know, there's any listeners that uh, might be interested in any positions? Yeah, so the, uh, some key ones, uh, you see it more in software, is like lifecycle marketer. Um, so we'd really love to bring someone on who's quite senior um, in that role in that area. Um, and then as we, we grow, uh, we're, we're, we're going to be needing uh, more on the finance side or kind of the data analyst side. Um, so those are big roles. And then in general, um, we're probably going to have to grow out the creative team in-house as far as like videographers, um, designers, um, kind of content creators, all, all kinds of focuses there. Um, and then, yeah, what, what I would say, we probably also need just like a, I don't know what the right word is, like retention specialist, like someone just focused on retention. And it's probably like a data person who's mixed with email marketing. I don't know what they would be. Um, but that role is, I'd say, critical and hard to find. So I just have one question on the on the data and performance front. Like, you know, a lot of DDC founders and marketers have very strong opinions on whether your performance should be in-house or it shouldn't be in-house and like, you know, how that ties also into the data analyst being in-house and so the paid media person not being in-house. And so like, how, how do you have any strong opinions on like, you know, paid media in-house versus uh, being a contractor? Yeah, I, I would say, so for us, we've worked with someone on the side as a contract um, for a few, three, three years now. And it's been just like an excellent relationship. And it, it's almost like they're part of the, the internal team. Um, so that's the feel it is versus like working with an agency where um, someone does something. But the, the agency or the contractor we work with does no uh, creative like there's not a single part of creative that they do, which makes, I think, makes a lot of sense. And I think internally, you can decide to outsource creative and have an agency work on it. But like the speed at which you get things and can do things and test things, having that internal, I think, is incredible. Um, so we right now have, like, say, two people who source content kind of as part of their role. And then we have one person who does all kinds of ads and creatives and that one role of just you just do say Facebook ads, TikTok ads, all these things, that's huge internally. And I, I couldn't imagine having that that externally. So David, as we uh, wrap up here, you know, one, first off, just wanted to really like thank you for coming on and sharing all these different tidbit tidbits of wisdom. I think what you guys are up to in the D2C and beyond space is um, really, really exciting. I loved all the different elements that you brought from having worked in Shopify and like seeing how a business is built there, applying it to your own business, you know, turning it from kind of a side hustle into a really big thing. So really excited for you and what's to come in the future. So, um, you know, for our audience that's listening, where can they connect with you? Are you on Twitter? Are you on LinkedIn? Where, where can they find you and, and, and Bushbomb? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be more active on uh, Twitter. So feel free to, you can message me or tweet at me, all those things. Um, I, I really want to engage. I'm just um, so heads down in work that I often will go two or three, four days without checking. And um, that's just kind of how I am. But I, I will probably get back to you at some point. So yeah, feel free to qu- connect with me on Twitter. It's, uh, it's definitely the best place. And I, I like to share there. And I just need a little pressure to share more. Awesome. Well, I actually just went to Twitter and I realized that that is how I came across your content. Um, I remember scrolling through one time and being like, well, this content is really good. Um, so yeah, give him a follow at David Gaylord and then David Gaylord on LinkedIn. And um, what about any other socials? Um, any other socials? Yeah, not really. Um, I am on Instagram. I don't really post, but I, I look at other companies ads. Yeah, so you'll yeah. you'll see me there doing that but uh yeah mostly twitter no, okay awesome all right david well thank you for being on man and um thank you for dropping these knowledge bombs on the pc awesome thanks guys